0: Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Hallelujah. Isn't God good this morning? Don't you love the love of God? Amen. So thankful that He loves us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. When Jesus began his public ministry, there were a variety of distinctions that set him apart. No one had ever come close to even living the radical, supernatural, and amazing life like he did. He was... Jesus was such a departure from what had been seen before. All that had come before him, nothing was like him. In fact, the prophets and the theological scholars of the day couldn't even recognize this Messiah. They didn't know he was the one from heaven that that all of prophecy had pointed to. They, They couldn't recognize their own Messiah because he came and did things that were much different. He stood out above the rest. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus walked in power. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He delivered the oppressed and radically changed the hearts and minds of those <clears throat> that followed him. Amen. Jesus taught with authority and with wisdom and people stood amazed at his message. Jesus was often moved with compassion he felt the needs of his people and was compelled to respond that was the big difference about Jesus he wasn't just moved with compassion he actually did something about what he felt he poured out grace and mercy hardcore sinners found grace and mercy in him he didn't mock them he didn't belittle them he restored them And when the religious leaders of the day said stone them, Jesus forgave them. He was a lot different. Jesus confounded the wise and the educated. Every time they tried to trip him up or catch him in false doctrine, he overwhelmed them with truth and wisdom. Jesus broke every stereotype and cultural taboo. He allowed women to sit at his feet and learn, and he fellowshipped with sinners. In fact, when he was, one time at, I believe it was Zacchaeus' house, they said, doesn't he know who he's having lunch with? He knew exactly who he was having lunch with. Jesus revealed the heart of the Father. Everywhere he went, he told the crowds, I only say what I hear my Father say, and I only do what I see my Father do. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. If you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. If you heard Jesus, you heard the Father. And that still holds today. Can you say amen? Everything that Jesus did set Him apart from the rest of the world. He was and He is. Truly unique. Can you say amen? But one of the most remarkable distinctions of Jesus' life and ministry was his servant's heart. And that's what I want to focus on today. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse 20, and we'll begin there, and we'll go through verse 28. Reading from the New King James, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? I love that line. I love that because here they're asking for something fairly significant. And he goes, you guys, I don't think you guys realize what it takes to get there. I'm not certain. I I think you guys have a different thought process here. And he goes, are you able? And they go, yeah, no, we can handle it. And he goes, good. Good. Because you're going to. Because listen, he says, Then they said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the bapti- baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, so here's the other disciples. They're listening to this conversation, right? Right? When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whosoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whosoever desires to be first among you, Let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now the thing that I find interesting in this story is that it reveals the predictability of humanity, doesn't it? So often in the face of radical life-changing truth, we, we really do miss what's important, I don't know about you, but for me that has been true. Here are these moments, these life-changing moments, these these moments that that really do set you on another course. And sometimes I, I I'm just wound up by the wrong thing. How many remember when when uh, Jesus told them to uh, uh, cast their nets on the other side of the boat? And now all you, you know they fished all night, and now all of a sudden there's so many fish they can't even keep it all in one boat, so they have to call other boats, and they're sinking, and it's like the, uh, the abundance of fish was amazing. In my mind, I would think God's calling me to be a fisherman. I would think God's saying, you know what, man, you need to start a fish business. <laughs> See, that, that, that's it's like, you're missing the point here. And oftentimes, I think that happens to a lot of us, and that's very predictably human, Here are the son of Zebedee, James and John, and they've been given a huge opportunity. Whether they know it or not, they are the disciples of the son of the living God. They are going to become apostles that literally turn the world upside down. But all they can think about is who's going to be who. Who's going to be greatest among us. It's classic self-promotion. They even go so far as to get their mother involved. I love this. I can see it. I I, I can actually picture this, secret meetings, covert conversations, planning, scheming, so they can get ahead and finally it's settled. Mom is gonna ask Jesus to promote her sons. Surely Jesus won't turn her down. After all, isn't that why he came to earth to find leaders for his kingdom? And her boys are just the men to do it. Just ask her. (laughs) But that's not what Jesus had in mind. Now don't get me wrong. He was looking for people to proclaim the kingdom of God and preach the gospel, no doubt, and to reveal the goodness and glory of the Father, leading the world to salvation. But the disciples had envisioned a military takeover, didn't they? Kingdom against kingdom. A real show of strength. But Jesus envisioned something a little different. A winning of hearts and minds through love and grace. Think about that for a moment. Don't we all, right now, just think about, just think about all that we're going through. COVID, politics, Afghanistan, woke culture, cancel culture. On and on and on. The polarity that exists. And you know, all of us secretly, we really do want God just to show up in power, don't we? Yes. We'd just like God to go, enough! Yes. Get all them people we disagree with out of the way. Yes. <laughs> the problem is, there's no consensus in this room who should be in charge. Let alone United States or the world. I always wonder, when you're praying for your favorite football team to win, what if somebody else is praying for their favorite football team, and it happens to be against your football team? Who, who does God answer? Which child does he favor that day? Or how about this? If you're praying for, for clear skies, and I'm praying for snow, who's God going to answer? No, <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's just that defeatist attitude right there. It's like, oh, you win. If it's got to be bad, it's going to come up. No, 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 no. So think about this for a moment. Jesus wants to do something different. He doesn't want to show up in military power. He could have. He could have showed up with military that would just shock the world. To, you talk about shock and awe. He could still do it but that's not the heart of God. There's something far more powerful than the shock and awe of heaven, and it's called the love of God. It's called the grace of God. The grace of God that has appeared to all men that teaches us to say no to this world and its lust. It's the grace of God that takes us into the very presence of God. It's the grace of God that empowers us to know him and to walk in him. It's the grace of God that brings us to that place of salvation that empowers our faith to receive that which he has for us. It's the grace of God, the grace and love of God that shows us exactly who he is. That's the most powerful thing. See, we want shock and awe because we think like humans. The reason he gave us the Bible is so we would think like him. Have his mind. And what he wants is he wants to do something that is going to truly shock the planet. Can you say amen? If God just showed up in power, he'd be just like every other despot that wanted control. But he wants to do something a little different. In our text in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus addresses the subject of true greatness in a significant way. The message that he proclaims in that story is something he talked about often with his disciples. And it became the hallmark of Jesus' life and ministry. And by establishing servanthood as the only effective means of achieving the goals of his Father in heaven, he literally turns the world upside down. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says in in our text in verse 25 through 28. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you Let him be your servant, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus reveals to them the way to true greatness, the way to victory, the way to overcome, the way to truly change those around you is to serve them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The world teaches us that through aggressive posturing, strong arm manipulation, self-seeking promotion, and uncaring domination, we take control and rise to the top. But Jesus taught that we are to descend into greatness. And the road to permanent victory comes by serving. This dynamic of service is for you and I, the one essential that will make our Christianity a success. Are you hearing what I'm saying? One man said it like this. He says, like Christ, we must descend into self-abandonment, unconditional giving, sacrifice, and death to self. And like Christ, then we will ascend into fulfillment, blessing, joy, joy, and purpose. Are you hearing me? See, we are called, church, to be servants. We are called to have a servant's heart. We are called to serve one another because we are called to be like him. All through Jesus' life, he demonstrated a servant's heart. And the most, ex- most shocking example is when he washed the feet of the disciples in John thirteen twelve through 15, he says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe and again sat down and asked, do you understand what is going, what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, am, since I your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. This is a pretty controversial thing. Makes people really nervous. So what I've decided to do this morning, and I've got some ushers that are going to come in with some bowls of water, and the pastoral staff is going to wash your feet today. (laughs) Did you feel how really nervous everybody got there? Both you that are getting your feet washed and the pastoral staff because I haven't talked to them. But I'm really not going to do that. I did that for effect. I did that because you know why? It's because somewhere along the line, not only do we have a hard time serving, sometimes we have a hard time being served. And this really does work on us, but the kingdom of God, the kingdom that we are a part of, the kingdom that we're going to, that's here and coming, yes. oh. is a kingdom of service. Yes. Jesus washed their feet. He, dis- he stepped out of every known, pre understanding of what it was to be the Messiah. And he got down on his knees, girded his waist with a towel, picked up their dirty, rotten, stinking feet, and washed them. And he demonstrates for his disciples and for us what it is to be great. Even as I use that word, that word great, it makes me feel a little checked because ambition for greatness should never be our motivation. We have to be careful here because we can even get our service off on the wrong side because if the only reason you're serving is because because somehow you wanna be great, you've missed the point. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Yet when we truly understand greatness, it changes everything. True greatness this morning is measured by how well we reflect the image of Christ in us. And that's the point, isn't it? That we would reflect Christ, that people would stop seeing us and they would see Jesus. Can you say amen? Every day, every moment of our lives is to be a reflection of Jesus in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is the process. That is the, uh, the, the, the work Of Christianity, that's what's happening, is that we are day by day, line upon line, precept upon precept, from glory to glory, being transformed into the image of Christ. And you know what, church? It begins with humility. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. This is the call of God on our lives. It is what will set us apart from the rest of the world. And I dare say it will set us apart from the rest of the Christian world. Because like Jesus was set apart. We are to be set apart. There should be a distinction, a distinctiveness about our life. And God, help us this morning if our Christian walk reflects more of the world than it does Jesus. Are you hearing me? So let's take a moment and examine our hearts. Let's ask the question do we have a servant's heart? Well, number one, do you make yourself available to serve? Much like a soldier, a servant must always be ready to serve. We must be willing for our schedules to be interrupted. Servants do what's needed, even when it's inconvenient. Question is, are you available to God anytime? Can he mess up your plans without you becoming resentful? Number two, do you pay attention to needs? Are you looking out for ways to help others. The Bible says in Galatians 6.10, so then we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. See, the problem is, church, we miss opportunities to serve, because oftentimes we lack the sensitivity and the spontaneity to serve. I, I, I feel it all the time. I, this is something that God deals with me. There'll, there'll be times I'll be walking into a restaurant, going into Cracker Barrel, and I'll open the door and kind of push my way through because I'm in a hurry. And I get a check in my spirit. And it's like God says, what? You, it, the 30 seconds that you are delayed by opening the door and letting everybody out will put you in a light much different than the big fat guy pushing his way into the restaurant. Sometimes we're just like bulls in china shops. We just don't have the sensitivity and the spontaneity. Do we have a willingness to be interrupted with somebody else's need? I remember years ago, this is such a classic story. If you remember Pastor Howard, he was pioneering his first church in San Jacinto, California. And they had been working hard and long and had been a lot of hours and a lot of effort and a lot of things going on. And so him and Pam decided they would take the kids and they would get away for a day and they were going to drive up to Big Bear to the the lake and and they were just going to have a day off and they were just going to kind of check out from ministry just for a day and just be a family. And they're going, they're driving, and they're on the freeway. And as they're driving, Howard's driving fast as he always did. And he flies by a guy in a wheelchair trying to check. His own tire. And as they fly by, Pam quietly, which she was very much noted for, quietly said to him, "Uh, Are you racing to go preach your Good Samaritan sermon? (laughs) She had an edge. And so he stops, turns around, goes back and as he tells the story, he gets there, well of course this guy in the wheelchair, his tire is the wrong size, doesn't even have the right rim, they have to go back into San Jacinto and on and on and on and there was one thing after another after another. It took him six hours to fix this guy's tire and they didn't get to go to Big Bear. But the question is, can God do that and you not be angry at the man or at God? Can God trust you to serve someone who's in need, do you do the best with what you have, or do you make excuses or procrastinate? Or here's the famous one: you wait for the right time. I'm I'm gonna do something for the Lord as soon as I, as soon as the timing's right. I'm gonna do something for God. I I'm gonna do this. I, I I'm I'm gonna I'm really gonna get sensitive, and I'm really gonna. One reason you may not serve is because secretly you fear you're not good enough. Do you do every task with equal dedication? See, the size of the task is irrelevant. God says to do things with all of our heart. Look to Jesus as our example. He specialized in menial tasks. He turned water into wine. In effect, Mary, his mother, was turning him into a bartender. I'll let the religious people sort that out later. He's washing feet, he's fixing breakfast, he's serving lepers. Nothing was beneath him. He came to serve. See, great opportunities are often disguised in small tasks. Are you faithful to the ministry God has called you to serve? Are you faithful with your responsibilities? Are you keeping your promises? Are you trustworthy and dependable? Can you be counted on by others? Do you maintain a low profile? (laughs) Servants don't promote themselves or call attention to themselves. Instead of acting to impress, we clothe ourselves in humility. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 5 out of the New Living Translation. It says, and all of you serve each other in humility, for God oppresses the proud but gives grace to the humble. In a sermon like this we can easily get the idea that I'm talking about simply serving in the church. No doubt that that is a valid and necessary thing. We need volunteers, we need servants. But that's not what this ser- this sermon is about. It's about more than that. This sermon is about a mindset. It's about an attitude, it's about a lifestyle that goes sim- goes far back, far beyond simple tasks. This is about something that should affect every area of your life. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider, himself, consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of a man... And men, he he being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus made himself of no reputation. He didn't come to show off. He didn't come to earth with all power and glory. He didn't. He was glorified when he came. God poured out his glory. God empowered him as he trusted and relied on him, as he walked in relationship with his father, filled with the Holy Spirit. But he came as a servant to those he created. He humbled himself to the point of death, and by stressing servanthood, the word of God places an emphasis on what you and I are to, what we are, rather than what we are. Do. I know that sounds strange, but there is no doubt that servanthood is important. It involves actions, but it must flow from the attitude of the heart. Look at Philippians 2, 5 in the New American Standard. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. See, a servant is a person who possesses knowledge about who they are and knowledge about who others are and they understand that relationship. They understand that they are servants to those around them. Even people we don't know and may never know. Oftentimes in church, we emphasize what a person can do more than what a person should be. But molding Christ-like character is the most important element of our walk with God, that we would be like Him. It determines the trajectory of our talents and our influences. One of the most important aspects of godly character is humility that leads to a servant heart. Are you hearing me? God emphasizes it more than any other character trait in the Scriptures other than love. And it's probably the most underrated trait in all of Christianity. Jason can come if he would like, and as I bring this to a close, a large group of European pastors came to one of D.L. Moody's Northfield Bible Conferences in Massachusetts In the late 1800s, following the European custom of the time, each guest put his shoes outside his room to be cleaned by the hall servants overnight. But of course, this was America, and there were no hall servants. Walking the dorm hallways that night, Moody saw the shoes and determined not to embarrass his brothers. He mentioned the need to some of the ministerial students who were there but it was met only with silence or pious excuses. So Moody returned to the dorm, gathered up the shoes, and alone in his room, the world's only famous evangelist of the day, began to clean and polish the shoes. Only the unexpected arrival of a friend in the midst of the work revealed the secret. When the foreign visitors opened their doors the next morning, the shoes were shined and they never knew by whom. Moody told no one. But his friend told a few people and during the rest of the conference different men volunteered to shine the shoes in secret. Perhaps this little episode of service is why God used D.L. Moody like he did. He was a man with a servant's heart and I believe That was the basis of his greatness. See, what Moody did is it revealed that he had truly the mind of Christ. It revealed that he was truly a child of God. So let me ask you, don't answer, just think about it. What do you think of what Moody did? Some would say he's a fool. Some would say that's beneath you, D.L., you should really be getting the mind of God. And no doubt, he should be. But if we ever get to a point where getting the mind of God overrides having a servant's heart, I fear that we have failed to truly get the mind of God. You know, this is probably the place where I'm at in my life if I can just be a little bit vulnerable and open with you. A lot of things are being challenged inside of me. At moments, I, have a, I, I, I see it as a crisis of faith at moments because I wonder, am I, you know, what do I believe? And I think, for me, what's happening is God's rearranging some things again in me. And He's identifying Some things that are truly important. Truly important. And sometimes it's hard. Because sometimes I don't want to admit that that I've believed that way for so long. Or sometimes I don't really want to go down that road. I wish it was a different way. But what God is showing me is saying, look it, you need to understand that I made you. I know what you're capable of. I know every desire in your heart. I know every difficulty. I know every fear. I, never, I know every moment of your life. I know you. And if you will just follow me, if you will do what I'm saying, and if you will allow what I'm doing in you to rise to the surface, you won't have to worry about a thing. Everything you need, everything you long for, everything that is going on in you will be dealt with and worked out. And you will receive. You will have fullness, and satisfaction, and contentment that you've never had before. You'll have power, access to it. See, I think sometimes what happens is we get so wound up in the mechanics that we forget what we're really all about. I felt so led to preach this message. I, in fact, I told my wife when I was putting it together. I said, I, I hope. I I said, I don't know if this sermon's going to be very good. She said why and I said look I I said I think the, the the subject matter is extremely important I said I hope that I do it justice because church we really do need to have be servants we we need to have a servant's heart and you know what in these days even more so because in these days it's so easy to confine ourselves and protect ourselves you know we are so polarized and there's so many opinions if we forget the rest of the world and just talk about the church the opinions that run rampant through the church of how things should be done and doctrine and theology and who God is and who he's not and how we should present ourselves just that alone is enough to put you in a closet somewhere and the problem is is God says I don't I don't want that. I want you to come out of the closet. You know, I, the 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 reality is is that somewhere along the line, God's just not shook up about some of the stuff we're shook up about. Alec, Pastor Alex and I talk about it oftentimes. In fact, we talk about it in some degree with amazement, because we look at some things and we go, you know, that that that's that's pretty pretty significant, and we both look at at each other and go, but God. God just doesn't seem to mind. He's not shook up about it. He's, he's, he's not in heaven, you know, wringing his hands and pacing the throne room, looking at Gabriel going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He's just, he's not worried about it. And I think somewhere what we have to do is we have to come back to some of the just fundamental basics of life and Christianity that we really do just need to love people. Just love them. Loving them does not condone their behavior. We can love people without agreeing with them. We can love them and pray for them and serve them without saying that your actions. Jesus loved the woman caught in the act of adultery. She was wrong and the law was dead on. The the, the Pharisees, they, they were experts in the law. They had it. And they said, look, the law says stoner. And they were right. That was the law. But Jesus was above the law. He put in a higher law. Do You know, that's how kings actually do it. Is they don't ever remove the law that's bad. They just simply put in a law above it. Do you know that's what happened in Esther's day? Queen Esther, do you remember her? You remember that there was a plot against the nation of Israel, against the Jews? Through manipulation, the king was persuaded to make a law that anyone could go out and basically kill a Jew. And Esther came in and she, for a year, prepared herself. And then one night she had her moment, spoke to the king, revealed. Everything got revealed. You know what the king did? He never repealed the law, he just put in a higher law. And that's what Jesus did in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. He says, the law of sin and death. He, or he says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death. There is a law called sin and death. There is a law. Sin leads to death. There is the curse of the law. It's not been removed. It's, there's a higher law. Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. He took our curse. So we don't have to be cursed anymore. There's a higher law. See, we could show up in power and we can do our protests and we can make a stand. And yes, all of those have their place. But you know what? Right now, God, I, I really believe what God's saying is that you need to walk in love and you need to serve. And you, need, and you know what? I know there's people that go, oh, that's so wimpy. No, it ain't. Try serving one time. Truly serving. I guarantee you, will take everything you got. Try to love somebody that's truly unlovable and love them unconditionally. It'll take everything you have and more. God says, if you, want, if you do that, now you're walking in my way. And I believe things will change. Can you say amen? So why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you, Lord. Father, I ask right now that everyone that's Here, God, that you would just give them, God, a revelation of a servant's heart. Father, that you would put with inside them, God, this desire. God, that you would open their minds and hearts to that, God. Father, help us to be your servants, God. Help us, encourage us, strengthen us. And Father, we're careful to give you the praise. And I I pray for every person here that's struggling, Father. I, I pray that those that right now I feel that there are people here today, right now, along with me, that are struggling with their faith. I pray, Father, that you would help them. Father, that you come alongside them and undergird them and nurture them. God, lead us in the way we should go. Teach us the way of righteousness. Instruct us in righteousness, Father. I pray, make the way clear, God. Help us to see with different eyes to hear with different ears to feel with a different heart Father I pray that you do miracles in this place do miracles in this place Father and we thank you for it and as every head is bowed every eye is closed if you're here today you say I don't know Jesus as my Savior if you'd like to give your life to Christ if you'd lift your hand we'd love to pray with you if if that's you would you lift your hand amen I see that hand Amen. Somebody else, you can put it down. Somebody else, you'd love to give your life to Jesus. Would you all pray with me And this one that lifted their hand. Say, Father, I just come before you, and I ask you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life, and I receive yours in return. In Jesus' name amen. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come. As many of you know, we have our ministry team come up, and, and they're, what they do is they come up so that they can pray for you. So if you're here and you have a need of prayer of any kind, come on up. Let them pray for you. If you raised your hand for salvation or didn't raise your hand, Come on up and let them speak to you. Let them pray over you. For the rest of you, let's stand to our feet. We're going to release you today. God bless you. You guys have a great day. We will see you next week. Enjoy your Sunday. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.